0: Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to consider, again, uh, Noah. We looked at three lessons last week that we could learn from Noah, and this week, look at three more lessons that show us God rescues Noah. Genesis chapter 6, let me begin with this question. I'm going to come back to it again. What is it that we expect, and this is just rhetorical, I'm not actually expecting an answer, but I do want you to think about it. What is it that we expect faith to do for us? What is the purpose of our faith? What are we, what are we doing with this faith? Um, I, I have a story, a true story, from a lady named Kara Powell. I heard this uh, story on, on a podcast. But Kara Powell uh, had a friend. Her friend's name was Chrissy. Chrissy was one of her closest friends, and some years ago, her friend Chrissy was diagnosed with stage four cancer, one of those things that just had flown under the radar, and by the time she came to the hospital with the symptoms, the doctor said, listen, this is stage four. It's not good. It's a very bad case of cancer, and um, so they began to pray. Chrissy, of course, prayed, but Kara prayed. The families prayed. uh, Their church prayed. The doctor started Chrissy on an experimental uh, therapy, and uh, Kara relates how she remembers it was her daughter's birthday party. She received a phone call uh, that day from from Chrissy. She's at her daughter's birthday party. She receives a phone call. So she stepped away from the party so she could talk to Chrissy without interruption. And Chrissy said, I've been healed. The cancer's gone. And Kara said that that was one of the, just the most amazing answers to prayer Um, The doctors were even surprised. The experimental chemotherapy worked much better than they were anticipating. And uh, Kara and her family said that was the biggest miracle up to that point in their lives, the biggest miracle that they had prayed for and they had seen. And you know, it's exciting when we see answers to prayer. It's exciting when we ask by faith for something and uh, God grants that to us. This sermon sermon series that we've been working our way through, uh, Hebrews 11, the characters that are there, the people that are there, is about faith. The kind of faith that expects God to work. We're not just praying and hoping and, you know, I wonder if this is what God wants. We want to pray aligning our will with God's will so that we expect God to work. The kind of faith that moves mountains. The kind of faith that people, sees people healed. The kind of faith that sees lives changed. Drunkards turn sober. Addicts freed. Cruel people turned into kind people. That's the type of faith that we want to have. And at the beginning of our series here, we gave you four axioms of faith. And probably every week that we look at another man or woman in uh, Hebrews 11, we'll go over these four axioms again. But just think about last week, what we learned about Noah and how they fit these four axioms of faith. The first is that God exists. And our faith is not in faith. Our faith is certainly not in doctors. Our faith isn't in our church, and your faith is not in me. Our faith is in God. We believe God exists. Secondly, we believe that he created all things by his powerful word. And if he created all things by his powerful word, guess what he can also do? He can also overturn everything by his powerful word, and we're going to see that here in Noah's life this week, how God literally turns the world inside out and upside down, and by the time he's done with his judgment, every living thing that was on the face of the earth, every person, every animal that was on the face of the earth had died, except for those that were in the ark. But we also decided that God, not decided, excuse me, we also learned the third axiom of faith is that God rewards those who seek him. Remember we said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this week someone shared with me a a good reminder. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now I know God is not a human being as we are. Jesus is. But God the Father is a spirit. So often we anthropomorphize. That's our word for the week. Anthropomorphize. We give God human characteristics so that we can understand him better. Or God gives himself human characteristics so we can understand him better. The eyes of the Lord... God is watching us. Now, I don't know if you remember being a little kid, Sunday school, junior church, and singing that song, Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And you go through these different body parts and these different verbs. And the idea I always had when I sang that song was God is watching me, I better be good, right? But parents, let me ask, how many of you watch your kids only hoping to punish them? Anyone? Any parent like that? That is not really the point of that song. When we say, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, God is watching Noah, not to smack him down. God's watching Noah because he wants to bless Noah. When I watch my kids, I'm sharing life with them. I'm hoping they succeed. I want to be there when great things happen to them. I want to watch as they work hard at a particular task, learning an instrument or playing a sport, and then boom, there it is, and they do it. And you know what? God wants us to succeed. God watches us because he wants to bless us. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is was watching Noah and God is watching you because he rewards those who seek him. And how does he know if we're seeking him? He's watching. He's watching. Here's the third axiom. We didn't quite get there last week, but in Noah's story, in the events in Noah's life, but the, third, the fourth axiom of, of our study is that God has communicated with man. And aren't you glad that God communicated with Noah? What would have happened if God would have seen judgment coming? He, he did, but he would have, and he would have been so excited for Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but God would not have communicated to Noah what he was about to do. Guess what? You and I wouldn't be here today. But God has communicated with us. In Noah's day, he communicated one way. In our day, God communicates with, to us with us through his word. This is God's communication to us. So let's look at the lessons we learned last week from Noah's life. There's three. And then we'll look at the lessons we can learn this week. First lesson we learned last week was that evil dwells in in man, humans, sin-cursed heart. We can take ourselves out of a particular society. We can go live in some far-off place away from other people, and guess what? We are taking these sin-cursed hearts with us. Second, we looked at some characteristics about God that we learned from Genesis 6. And then third, I said that you need God's grace, I need God's grace, we need God's grace, because we have these sin-cursed hearts. And without God's grace, we can't please Him. Without God's help, we can't live in a way that's righteous. We can't live in a way so that God can bless us. We need God's grace. Those were all last week's lessons. Let's pick it up with uh, the first lesson from this week. With God's grace, we can live righteously in this culture. With God's grace, we can live righteously in this culture. Was there ever a day more wicked than Noah's day? I mean, the Bible says that the thoughts of the heart of man were only evil continually. Noah knew what wickedness was. It was around him all the time, and yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God was watching for someone they're on that wicked earth that he could bless. And even though our culture today is bad, and there's a lot of wickedness around us, all you have to do is look at your phone, and you can find wickedness. All you have to do is drive down the road, and you can find wickedness. You'll find wickedness if you're looking for it, even though our culture is filled with wicked thinking. You and I can live righteously in this culture if we find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why, again, is God watching us? Because He wants to bless us. He sees where we're at. He sees the evil influences around us, and He will give us grace. He'll give us consistently. He will give us victory. And we can live righteously in this culture. In your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6, look with me at verse 9. Here's how God describes Noah. Remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. That means that God looked down and he saw Noah, and Noah was righteous. He did what was right. Second, it says that Noah was perfect. Now, I don't mean by that he was sinless. God doesn't mean sinless. What that means is he was blameless. The people around him realized that he was a good man. I think of another person who lived in a very wicked culture, Daniel. And he was exalted to a position in the kingdom. There was only three other, There were only three of them, two others besides him, right underneath King Darius. And he had political enemies who wanted to destroy him. Sound familiar? So you know what? They looked for all these wicked things that Daniel might have done. And guess what was the only wicked thing they could find? He prayed to the God of heaven. So they said to King Darius, I tell you what, you know what you need to do, King? You're such a great guy. You're, you know, you'll just do anything for anyone. You're so giving. I tell you what, why don't you decree that for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any God. They can only pray to you. And Darius thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Makes this law. And what does Daniel do? First thing, goes back to his house. Opens up the windows to the east like he always did. He wasn't being ostentatious. just just what he always did. And he got on his knees and he prayed and his political enemies thought, oh, this is great. You know what? Here's Daniel living in a very wicked culture. A very wicked leader. A man who would think that he can forbid praying to other gods, only pray to me. And guess what Daniel did? Daniel lived righteously. And you can live righteously in this culture. It says, third thing it says in verse 9, that Noah walked with God. We saw that in Enoch's life, that Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Let me remind you of some of the things we learned about walking with God from Enoch's events. Number one, you have a sense of God's presence. When a person walks with God, he knows that God is walking with him. Number two, you share... The same direction. How can two people walk together unless they're going to the same place? Right? This guy's going here. I'm going over there. We're not walking together. We may end up at the same destination. We're not walking together. When you are walking with God, you share God's direction. And if you say, well, pastor, how do we know what God's direction is? This book tells us. When you walk with someone, there's shared direction. When you walk with someone, there's also a shared pace. You're not walking faster than that person, otherwise you wouldn't be walking with them anymore. Not walking slower than them, letting them get ahead of you. If you're walking with God, you're waiting on God's timing. And I can tell you from personal experience, God's timing is not my timing. Most years, I get my calendar out, I start marking things down, this is going to happen, and that's going to happens, and by the end of the year, I look back, and it's just a jumbled mess. Because nothing happened when I thought it would, and things happened that I didn't think were going to happen. Because God has a different timing than I do. That's fine. You know what I do? I adjust. I say, okay, God, you want to go a little bit faster? Okay, I'll pick up the pace. Okay, God, we're going slower. I don't understand. I'll, I'll, I'll slow down a little bit. You have to share God's pace. You have to share God's experience with Him. That is, you experience life together with God. And when you, t- when you walk with someone, there is often a shared, uh, there is often conversation, a mutual sharing of thoughts and concerns and observations. And I, I think that is analogous to prayer. When we walk with God, we're praying with Him. We're telling Him things. Again, not because God doesn't know. He's right there. He's watching me but I'm telling him things, telling him what bothers me, what frustrates me, telling him the good things that happened. Hey, Lord, I wasn't expecting that, and you did it for me. Thank you. I'm expressing my praise and my worship and my gratitude to him. You can walk with this God that exists, created everything by his powerful word, that rewards those who seek him and that communicates with man. Noah was a man of faith. Not only did he live righteously, that was one lesson we learn from this passage, but Noah was a man of faith. Go back to, you don't need to, but write down in your, in your notes, Hebrews 11:7, 7, which is our verse about Noah in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11:7 says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. By faith Noah prepared an ark. Noah was a man of faith. How do we know that Noah was a man of faith from Genesis chapter 6? Well, let me ask you, do you think it's easy to build an ark 300 cubits long, 20 cubits wide? Uh, This would not have been an easy project. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any details of the struggle that Noah had. So let's imagine, let's imagine, I know this is, I'm making this up, but let's imagine that God asked Noah to build an ark in California today. Let's imagine Noah lived out in the central valley somewhere. He doesn't live near the coast. There's no indication in Genesis 6 that he lived on the water. And, and, and God says to Noah, I want you to build an ark. Uh, just for the sake of time, we'll, we'll compress it. Instead of having 120 years, Noah has 10 years to build this ark. And God says, listen, Noah, in 10 years, I'm going to be back. There's going to be rain, There's going to, the fountains of the earth are going to break up, the whole earth is going to be covered with water, and only the righteous people that you bring on the ark, only the, the pairs of animals that you bring on the ark are going to be saved. So here's the plans for the ark, and God gives these plans to Noah. Ten years later, God arrives, he looks around, the ark's only half finished. And he says, Noah, what is your problem? How come you didn't finish the ark? I know the first thing Noah would say. He'd say, the county building commission. (laughs) (laughs) I submitted my plans for the ark, and they didn't like them. And they said, you're going to have to hire engineers to redraw these to comply with the code. That's what he would say, right? (laughs) Then OSHA would come by. You need fire sprinklers on the ark. Yeah, but it's a rainstorm. No, you need fire sprinklers on this ark. Then the Coast Guard, right? What would the Coast Guard say? Where are your lifeboats? God's going to take it. Care- no, no, no. For a big boat this big, you're going to have to need lifeboats. The neighbors would complain, wouldn't they? This is not according to the building codes for this area. So Noah had to go to the county. He had to get a variant so that he could build his ark. And then he couldn't get enough wood because we're protecting the spotted owls. And he would say, but listen, I'm building the ark to save the spotted owls. <laughs> and of course, the unions, the carpenters would go on strike. You're expecting us to work too hard. We need more union workers. You'd have to go before the National Labor Relations Board. He said, "God, I have 92 carpenters and no owls on this ark." <laughs> then he started rounding up the animals. And PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, they complained, you're only rounding up two. And then the ACLU complained, they said, yeah, and it's male and female, that's discrimination. The people for the freedom from God said, you're only inviting righteous, godly people on the ark, you can't do that. You got to let anyone come who wants. He said, yeah, but people who are ungodly and unrighteous, they don't want to get on the ark. The IRS said, maybe you're attempting to flee the country. <laughs> uh, you can just imagine all of the problems that Noah would have faced if he tried to build the ark in California today. And I know I'm, I'm being facetious, but I think that Noah faced a lot of problems thousands of years ago, too. The Bible doesn't tell us what they are, because now in light of what we know, we realize that whatever he had to do to build the ark was worth it. And it's a good reminder to us that when we live by faith, God asks us to do some hard things. There are some things he asks us to do that are very different than what other people do. And other people may point at you and say, you, you, really, you really think that people ought to get married before they live together? That's old-fashioned. You really think that you ought to give some of your money to the church? That, that's old-fashioned. You really think you ought to be bold and your witness for Jesus Christ? Come on, who does that today? But I tell you what, when we get to eternity, we're going to look back. And just like that song says, it will be worth it all. All those people in Noah's day who had no faith, and they kept eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and building and planting, guess what happened to all their work? In a day, it was gone. And there's a coming day of judgment. And you can have the nicest house in Vacaville. You can live up on Wyckoff Road. And guess what? In the day of judgment, it won't matter. You can be the most famous person in America. You can be one of those people that paparazzi are constantly chasing down. By the way, I'm glad I'm not famous. I don't want people chasing me around trying to take my picture. (laughs) You can be the most famous person in America, and one day it won't matter. God's not impressed by anybody's fame. You can be the most powerful person. You can have all of the political reins in your hands, and guess what? There's coming a day when it won't matter. We will have to walk by faith, not by sight. And I'm telling you that faith does not make life easier. Sometimes faith makes life harder. Living by faith, doing what's right, following God's word instead of your own feelings, it makes life harder. But it will be worth it. One day you'll be glad that you lived by faith. Now I asked you a question at the beginning what do we expect faith to do for us? And the first thing I don't want you to expect, faith is not going to make your life easier. Faith is not going to make your life easier. But there's a second thing that faith does not do for us. And I didn't read the whole passage. I, was, I, I mentioned at the uh, weekly update to read Genesis 6, 7, and 8. Did you notice anything missing on the ark. He tells them how long it's going to be, how wide it's going to be, how tall it's going to be, where there's going to be windows and different things to bring into the ark, but there's no rudder on the ark. And there's no sail on the ark. And when God tells Noah to get into the ark, Noah gets in, he obeys, he gets in. And who shuts the door? God shuts the door. So evidently, there's no way for Noah to even close the door of the ark. Can you imagine building this huge boat? You got the uh, door up there, and you get in the boat, Just j- j- did it just like God told you to, you get in the ark, and you see this big gaping hole where the door isn't closed yet. And you say, now, I, n- I know God told me to do it this way, but how am I going to get that door closed? <laughs> Noah was a man of faith. And sometimes we think that what faith does for us is faith gives us a measure of control over our lives. Faith helps us to control our circumstances. Faith allows us to manipulate our situation so that it pleases us. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith gives up control to God. It says, God, I trust you. You have a big hole in the side of your boat, but I trust you to close it when it comes time. God, I don't have any way to steer this boat. You're going to have to get it to where it's supposed to be. God, I have no sail. Sometimes people can control a boat using the sails, I understand. I have no sail. I have no way to control this boat. Noah had to give all the control to God. Now, we as humans, we like to control things. I love to control things. I love to be in control. If you missed Friday night, and you, don't, you missed it. They got me playing a game that I love to play, and I just... I love to be in control. <laughs> I love control, but faith doesn't try to control things. Faith is giving control to God. You know, as human beings, we say, but if I have faith, can I, can I fix that relationship, that broken relationship between me and an adult child? And the answer is not necessarily. We say, if I have enough faith, can I get over my feelings of grief, Can I get over my feelings of loss? And I'll I'll be frank, no. Faith doesn't always allow you to control those things. Some people say, but if you have enough faith, you'll have enough money. No, 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 (laughs) trust me. Sometimes God puts you in a very poor position financially to to build your faith. And you have to give your control to God and say, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this. I don't understand these circumstances that put me here. But by faith, I'm going to move forward. Faith doesn't try to control things. Faith gives control to God. Some people teach. I've heard them with my own ears. They'll teach, if you have enough faith, you will always be healed. That's not what the Bible teaches. You can have loads and loads of faith. And still not be healed. I told you the story at the beginning of my sermon about uh, Kara and her friend Chrissy. And they prayed and Chrissy was healed from stage 4 cancer in a miraculous way. Kara goes on to tell the rest of the story. About six months later, Chrissy was at her house when she suddenly passed out and just fell down. So they rushed her to emergency uh, as they were trying to diagnose why she had had this uh, seizure. They realized it was a seizure, why she had had seizure seizure, they did a scan. And there was a new cancer all the way through her brain and her spinal stem. And Kara says within a month, her friend was dead. Well, now they had enough faith for one cancer. Why didn't they just summon up enough faith for the second cancer? Because faith does not control things. Your faith doesn't control things. You say, but I prayed and God didn't answer my prayers. Yeah, because you think of faith as some magical device that allows you to manipulate God. Your faith does not manipulate God. God has a plan that's bigger. God had a plan for Chrissy that was bigger than Kara, her friend, had for Chrissy. And so many times in my own life, I say, I know where I want to go, and God, I'm going to pray for this, and if you don't answer... No, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not faith. Just because I tell God what to do in a really loud voice doesn't mean it's faith. Faith is me giving control to God and saying, God, yeah, I have a goal, I have a plan, I have a vision, I know where I think we're going here, but I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to let you choose the direction. And God, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to let you choose the pace. And God, sometimes you're walking way too fast for me. Can you give me more grace for that? And sometimes, God, you're walking way too slow. We could get there a lot quicker if you just pick up the pace. Can you give me grace for that? And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he was able to walk with God, and he was able to give up control to God. Who decided what kind of ship and the dimensions of the ship? Who? God decided that. Who decided what to bring on board the ship? God decided that. Who told Noah when to get on the ship? God decided. Who closed the door? God did. Who controlled the weather? God did. Who got the ship to Mount Ararat? God did. Noah was a man of faith, and so he was able to give control to God and let God make all these decisions. I don't know. I can imagine that here you are spending literally decades building the ark, preparing. God, God brings the animals to him. I mean, God does all these things. I can imagine that the day that God said, okay, it's time to get on the ark was probably the worst day all year to get on the boat. Isn't that always the way it is? You're waiting for God to do something. You're waiting for God to do something. And then finally he does it. And it's like, this is the worst day to do it. Do you have enough faith to give control to God? Do you have enough faith to let God make those choices about your health, about your finances? Now, there are things that we can do. I think you got to eat right. I think you got to get enough sleep. Uh, I think there are some uh, supplements and other things that a person can take that will aid their body. But in the end, God controls your health. I think you ought to work hard. I think you ought to save. I think you ought to have a plan for retirement. But in the end, God's the one that controls the economy. Faith is not telling God what I want in a loud voice. Faith is giving God control of circumstances. What do we expect? I asked the question at the beginning. What do we expect faith to do for us? Well, faith doesn't put us in a position where we tell God what to do. Faith gives us confidence that in the end, we're going to be glad God made the choices he did. Now, it may be be eternity. It may be eternity before we get to that place where we say, God, I'm glad you made that choice for me. But we can trust God. We can trust God that he has our best interests in mind. How do we know that? Because the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He, God, who spared not his own son, the Bible says. God gave his son to die in our place. We can trust him for our daily circumstances. Which leads me to the last point Uh, that we will learn from Noah today, and that is salvation takes God at his word. God said, Noah, there's a flood coming, and here's the type of boat you're going to need in order to survive the flood. And Noah believed God. Noah had faith. And it saved not only him, but it saved his family. Salvation from sin comes from taking God at his word. God says that I'm a sinner. God says that you're a sinner. God says for all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. And in my experience, that is the first and biggest stumbling block that people have in God's plan of salvation. They want to contribute to their salvation. They want to do something. They say, okay, yeah, I understand I'm a sinner, but what can I do to make up for it? You know, many people say, "I'm I'm a good father. I'm, I'm glad you're a good father. I, I, I believe, I, I see in the Bible that you can only be a good father if you have God's grace. But even if you look around you and you compare yourself to other fathers and you say, well, I'm a better father than all these other fathers, that doesn't make up for your sinfulness. You can give money to the church. Boy, I wish more people would give money to the church. You know, there's whole denominations that build beautiful edifices off telling people a lie They tell people, if you give us money, we'll pray for your dead relative and they'll get out of purgatory faster. That's a lie. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's no purgatory in between there. Mm -hmm. We could get a lot more people to give to our church if we said, listen, if you'll give enough money, you can be saved. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? it? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God if you paid for it, it wouldn't be a gift, would it? If you paid God money to get into heaven, it wouldn't be a gift. It's God's gift to us. We have to take God at his word. We have to understand God is serious when he says we're sinners. There's no way we get out of it by our own good works. The good news is that's why Jesus died for us. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He wasn't just caught up. I mentioned this, this uh, person that I was talking to a couple weeks ago now. He just caught up in the political machinery. He was, a, he was a political radical and they didn't like him. No, 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 no. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He died for our sins. Christ died because God the Father knew I would never be good enough. You would never be good enough to get to heaven. And if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be rescued from sin... If you're going to be rescued from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, you have to take God at his word and you have to agree that you're a sinner and that you're never going to be able to save yourself. And you have to agree that Jesus Christ not only died for you, not only died for you, he rose again the third day. He's alive. And the people that take God at his word, those are the ones that God saves. Salvation is just that simple. Believing what God says and putting your faith in that, not on what you think, not on what you feel, not on what people around you say, but what God says. So let me, in, in conclusion, let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you expecting faith to make life easier? If you're expecting faith to make life easier, that's when you get discouraged. Because you say, boy, I have so much faith and life is just getting harder. Let me give you a sports illustration. How many of you have been on a wrestling team? Okay, just a few. You're not going to get this then, but let me tell you the truth. Usually, the wrestling team that wins the most matches is the one that works out the hardest. They have the most demanding coach, and he says, we're going to run today. And you think, oh, we're going to run a few laps. No, we're going to run for two hours, right? We're going to pump iron today. You think, oh, yeah, I can bench press 40 pounds, right? no, we're not going to measure for us 40 pounds. The wrestling team at my, uh, uh, I was involved with the church. They had a Christian school. The wrestling team at the Christian school, they would run up a hill. This wasn't any old hill. This was a sand dune. Any of you ever run through sand? They'd run uphill through sand. And I tell you what, they consistently won because they out-practiced the other teams. And guess who the coach of my basketball team was? The same guy who coached that wrestling team. And he didn't understand that wrestling and basketball were two different sports. He thought that if he ran, if we ran enough, we could win games. And I tell you what, we ran a lot and we lost a lot of games because they're not connected. But I learned something from him and this is what I learned. Faith takes hard work. Faith doesn't mean I sit home and pray and hope for the best. Faith doesn't mean I complain to my pastor when things don't go the way I expected. Faith means I get up and I work. Why? Because I believe God's at work and that he rewards those who seek him. The people who have faith, they come out on Saturday mornings. Why? Because they believe that if we go out and we knock on somebody's door, we're going to meet someone to talk to and give the gospel to. The man with faith gets up in the morning. The woman with faith gets up in the morning, if you're a morning person like I am. And the first thing you do is spend time in God's Word and in prayer because you believe God has something for you that day. The man, the woman of faith, is bold. Tell other people, I'm a Christian. Why? Because you have faith that God's at work in their heart. I Just, just this morning, I, I, I shared that, that brief audio clip. Did you hear in that man's salvation? He kept. He was a Jewish man, not a believer, and he kept meeting Christians. Did he get saved the first Christian he met? No. The second? No. The third? No. You say, Well, I, I give out tracks everywhere I go. Please keep doing that. I'm hoping that if enough people in Backerville get the same track from the same, per, same church's track, right? One of them is going to say, Come up. We've got to find out who these people are. It takes faith. It takes work. Work, faith does not make our lives easier. If you're expecting faith to make your life easier, you're going to be disappointed. But also, faith doesn't grant us more control. Faith is giving control to God. Faith is saying, God, I'm going to trust you. And God says, okay, this is the decision I'm going to make for your job. Now, I tell you what, that's when it gets tough. As long as I can make decisions for my job, it's easy. But when God starts making decisions for my job, I don't like it. And I go back to God and I say, now, God, I thought we had an agreement. (laughs) No, just teasing him, being facetious there. Faith is not gaining more control over what you want. Faith is giving control to God. And number three, salvation is taking God in his word. Why was Noah saved? Now, I I know you could take this illustration too far and say, well, Noah was saved because he put in all the work. No, no, Noah was saved by faith. That's what Hebrews tells us. He was saved by faith. The faith was only reflected in all that work that he put in. He was saved by faith. If Noah would not have had faith, when God said, here's the plans for the ark, he would have said, wait, that's way too big. I'm going to cut that in half. And he wouldn't have had room for everything. Or he would have said, you know what? I don't need to build a boat. I'll just build up on the top of the highest mountain that I can find. And we'd have been washed away. Now, I know this is just a thought experiment, but can you imagine, maybe God went to, again, I'm just thought experiment. This is not what the Bible teaches. Imagine that God went to two people. He went to Noah and some other guy. And the other guy didn't listen. You know why he's not in the Bible? He didn't listen. <laughs> he didn't do what God asked him to do. When it comes to salvation, you can try a bunch of different things to get to God, but there's only one way. It's Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus said that. There's only one way to God. Don't, don't try to go and forge your own path. Don't listen to people that say, you know, you can do, and you can give, and you can all these other... There's one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ, who died in our place, rose again the third day. Salvation takes God at His word. Father, thank you for the uh, lessons we've learned from Noah's life. I'm so grateful that Noah obeyed. I'm so grateful that by faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark. And we have him to thank for the culture we have today, I mean, that we're here. Lord, we do live in a wicked culture. We're constantly surrounded by wickedness. And Father, we need your help to live righteously in the midst of moral filth, in the midst of spiritual contamination, when the principalities and the powers of wickedness are all set against us. We need your help. So we ask, Father, this morning for your people that we catch a new vision for righteous living in a wicked world. For those that are not your children, I pray that this morning, hearing that salvation is taking you at your word, I pray that they would be serious and think about their own situation. Do they know that they have eternal life? Do they know their sins are forgiven? And Holy Spirit, bring your conviction of sin and of righteousness of judgment to their lives so that for them today is the day of salvation. And then, Lord, for all of us, teach us that faith isn't controlling my own circumstances. Faith isn't shouting at you so you do it my way. Faith is giving you control and agreeing that you know far better than I do what's best for me, what's best for my family, what's best for my church. Lord, we love you. We do. You've been so good to us. Over and over again, we've seen how when we um, behave and act on faith, we, we, we align our will with your word, that your blessings are just poured out on us. Because you are a good God, you do reward those who seek you. Thank you. Thank you for watching us so you can bless us. We bring these things to you. We put them in your hands. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me